Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Sean. Praise team. Want to uh, thank you for your service today. And uh, today, Brother Mark is not with us, and just want you to uh, pray for him and his family as his mother passed and celebrated a service for her yesterday in Orlando. But uh, it was a good service, and it was uh, really marked because of good because we knew that uh, she's with the Lord now. And uh, that is a comfort. I just can't tell you the number of times I've done funeral services, and there is a marked difference in the hearts and minds of family members and friends when there's assurance that this person has gone on to be with the Lord. And uh, today, as we look at God's Word, we're going to see a dramatic scene that unfolds in the book of Revelation. And uh, it is a scene that pictures for us the final judgment of God, of humanity. As we begin this morning, I want to show you a picture. I think you guys probably know who this is. This group of people that is listed here is the United States Supreme Court. And uh, this was this court as of 2022. And we kind of look to the Supreme Court as being the ultimate, uh, the ultimate court in our land. These people make decisions based on court cases that rise to their level that affects all of us. And sometimes those decisions are good, and sometimes those decisions aren't so good. Uh, for example, when they decided that it was wrong for us to have prayer in school, that was one of the, the things that really hurt our nation, I believe. And now we're seeing the fruit of that right now with so many crazy things happening in our world and a generation of students who've grown up not to believe and not to revere the holy God. But praise God, there are some who do. And as long as God has two or three people gathered together in his name, the Bible says that God is there. And so we rejoice in that. We know that he is with us. But as we look at God's Word this morning, I want to talk to you about that prophetic scene that the Apostle John saw in the book of Revelation of the great white throne of judgment. And as we look at that, we're in Revelation chapter 20 this morning, and I want to tell you that sometimes in the court of human opinion and in the legal system, sometimes there are mistrials that occur. A mistrial occurs when there's some kind of procedural problem or perhaps some misconduct of someone involved in the court and in the legal proceedings. And as a result of that, the case cannot be decided. Sometimes there has to be a new jury. Sometimes there has to be uh, other things that take place. But the bottom line is that when the life is on the line, it's so vitally important that we get it right. And I'm here to tell you this morning that as we see the prophetic fulfillment of the, this world, what God has said is going to happen, God is going to get it perfectly right. This morning, as we look at God's Word, there is a warning for each of us, and that is to make sure that all of our sin is atoned for in Christ. What that means is that you want to make sure that you don't have to stand at the great white throne of judgment. You want to make sure that your sin is covered in the blood of Christ because there is no one in this world that will be justified by observing the law, the scripture says. And the Bible tells us that if we are guilty of breaking one point of God's law, we essentially become guilty of all. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, I want us to read this together beginning in Revelation chapter 20. And I want to begin reading in verse number 7. 
And so if you would, please stand with me as we read this passage together. And just to kind of give you a little bit of context now, in this passage of Scripture, I want you to understand there are a number of things that have already occurred. And we're going to come back to some of these things in our study. But I want you to realize that Satan has been consigned to a prison for a thousand years. The Bible tells us that John saw an angel come out of heaven with a key to the abyss, the abode of the fallen spirits. And the Bible says that Satan is locked away for a thousand years so that he cannot deceive the nations. Let me just tell you something. A lot of what we see happening in the world today is not just because of the evil of man, it's because of the deception of Satan. And this is why we are careful understanding that our War is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities of evil and wickedness and high places that deceive. So Satan has been, uh, has been uh, uh, in prison for a thousand years. There's been a thousand years of a literal reign of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem. He plants his feet on terra firma and he rules the nations. And it's a time of great prosperity. We're going to talk about the millennial reign of Christ and what that means. It's pretty exciting. And then we come to a moment in a time when Satan is actually let go for just a short period of time to once again deceive the nations. And friends, what this ought to tell us all is that Satan has an incredible power to deceive and to misdirect and to lead people astray. And as we come to this passage of Scripture now, there's this... I really don't know how to, I wish I could, man, I wish I had some great bass drums and some incredibly loud speakers right now with a low tone, kind of like that, that, that music in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you know, where all of a sudden it's like this, this great, giant, weighty hum, and everybody's like going, oh, what is that, you know? Because this is the picture that we have now. And in Revelation chapter 20, Beginning with verse number seven, we find these words. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. Pause there for just a moment. During the millennial reign, many children will be born. The earth will be populated in an Edenic type. It will be Edenic type conditions and there will be many, many people during the millennial reign. Verse number nine. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. 
Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Would you pray with me? Father, as I read this passage again, Lord, I'm so reminded of the ultimate destiny and the reality of how vitally important each of our decisions about you are. Father, I just want to pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct each of us to examine our hearts Lord God, that you would teach us what you would have each of us to realize and to understand from this passage. And oh, Father, I want to pray that you would put in my heart a great desire not only to be assured and confirmed in my salvation, but Father, give me a a heartbeat. Help me to understand the need and the necessity of sharing your love with others. Father, I want to confess to you this morning that I personally have looked with disgust on those who've walked in depravity and are outside of your grace. And Father, forgive me that I might not have that animosity in my heart. Lord, help me to understand your love. And Lord, help me to love people in spite of their sin. And Father, give me grace and give me wisdom to know how to communicate your message of love. And Father, I just pray for our community. I pray for our state. I pray for our nation. Oh God, have mercy upon us and give us awakening. Father, turn our hearts away from idolatry and wickedness. And Lord God, give us a glimpse of your glory and the hope we can have in you. Change us, oh God, we pray in your name. Amen. Please be seated. As we look at this passage of glory, again, I wish I could, you know, I guess in some ways I almost wish I could make the lights super bright like the sun in here. I wish I could get the sound. I wish I could get Sean up here on his guitar and let him hit that note that would just put us all down on our knees and, you know, cover our ears and that sort of thing. And I kind of have a a feeling that it was like this when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai. Remember that there was thunder and lightning and there uh, there was a great upheaval and the people could not even touch Mount Sinai. Not the people or an animal, otherwise they would be destroyed because God's holy presence had been unveiled. I think about what was in the Old Testament when those in the Old Testament had a glimpse of God's glory. I think about Isaiah for just a moment in a time of uncertainty when the king had died, the earthly king, and life was a question mark for him. And the Bible says he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of God's robe filled the temple and there was glory and there was power. I think about the children of God as they were in the wilderness as God had called them out of Egypt and they were going through the wilderness and the scripture says by day there was a cloud that they followed that sheltered them from the sun and by night there was a pillar of fire that they followed. The glory of God was apparent. I think about episodes in the Bible when the glory of God was revealed. 
The scripture tells us that when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, that suddenly he was transfigured before them and his countenance was as lightning bright and white and there were two that appeared with him, Moses and Elijah, and the disciples were overcome. And Peter, being the big mouth that he was, said, no, 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 no. Lord, let us make a temple here, one for you, one for Moses, and one Elijah. I mean, he was overcome. And Jesus said, no, we've got to go back down into the valley. I think about those episodes in the Bible, that prophet Daniel, who saw the Lord in Daniel chapter 7, the Ancient of Days on the throne, and he was glorious. And I think about this passage as John, the Apostle John now, who writes what has been revealed to him from the book of Revelation. And John is an old man by this time, and he's on the Isle of Patmos. He's been consigned to a prison island because of his uh, preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's there on the Lord's Day, which would have been, which we think, which we know to be Sunday, because that's the day the Lord rose from dead. Sometimes people say, why don't you worship on the Sabbath, which is Saturday? And the reason that we don't worship, now, obviously, we can have a worship service anytime. And some people consider one day more sacred than the other. But the reality is that we worship on what we describe as the Lord's Day, the first day of the week as we gather together, because that is the day of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Hey, isn't that a wonderful thing? He rose from the dead, folks. I'm telling you, if he did not rise from the dead, then you are still in your sins. But if he rose from the dead, then if you've trusted in him, then you are not in your sins. And you're going to find out in this passage how important that really is. And so the Bible tells us that John had this incredible vision. By the way, let me just say in passing quickly, if you try to read the book of Revelation chronologically, you're going to be very confused. Because what happens is it kind of repeats itself in different ways. And, um, but I can tell you, once you get to Revelation chapter 21, chronologically, you are at the end. So just know that, all right? But as we look at God's Word this morning, first of all, I want you to see this great white throne of judgment that is spoken of here. It gives us a vision of the sovereign glory of God. It presents the supremacy of heaven's deity, our heavenly Father. It describes for us and shows for us a glimpse of the glory of God. And there are several words here that, that are used to describe that. First of all, John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. First of all, I want you to notice what we have here is the sovereignty of God, because it is a great white throne. This word speaks of the, 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 the magnificent, all-powerful, all-glorious, incomprehensible, eternal God seated on the throne. It speaks about his sovereign power, his rule over the nations. Notice what it says, he is seated on the throne. To be seated on the throne means that you have complete and full uh, sovereignty and authority over all all things. We're talking about the throne in heaven. Secondly, we see the purity, the righteous purity of the one who is seated on this throne of judgment. Notice it's called a great white throne. And because it is a white throne, it symbolizes the righteousness and the purity and the holiness of God. 
The Bible tells us that God is light in whom there is no variation or no shadow. If you look at white light, white light, just from a just from a, a creation standpoint or a physical property standpoint, if you look at white light, it contains the entire spectrum of light. Now, you can't see the red light or the blue light or the yellow light unless you're specifically seeing that. But when you look at white light, it contains all. And this word for white here demonstrates the complete righteous purity of Christ, of God. So this is not an unjust judge. This is a righteous, holy... I mean, when I think about it, it's really hard for me to be able to express to you the grandeur of God. But you know one thing we learn as we study the book of Revelation? That those who surround the throne in heaven, they sing a song and it is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He is eternal. He is glorious. He is great. He is pure. And I I think also as we look at this passage, there's something else about his glory that stands out. And that portion of glory that stands out is his, and I'm going to use this in quotation marks, his terrible authority. When I look at this and I read this passage, it says, from his presence, earth and sky fled away. It's hard for me to imagine what it must have been, what John must have been seeing here, but but this reference to earth and sky fleeing from the very presence of God, it tells us that God has the power and that one day he will complete the work of this creation and it will end, it will be over with. And what that tells me is that we all live and breathe and have our being because of God. Jesus is the one who spoke this world into existence because it says by him all things were created and he holds all things together by the power of his word. And so when I think about this, again, this is just a glimpse of his glory, but my goodness, how powerful, how glorious he is. Take your Bible, if you would, and go to Daniel chapter 7, just a moment. Flip on over there to the Daniel. Daniel's in the Old Testament. He's one of the prophets. And uh, if you get to Isaiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verse number 9. Daniel has a vision here. This prophet says this in Daniel 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him and the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. John's revelation in chapter 20 corresponds to Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7. And in this passage we see the glory of God. Just a glimpse of it. 
It's enough to speak to our hearts and if we're honest with ourselves that we can get ourselves disconnected, so to speak, from this world and get our mind on heaven, it would change our view of who God is because God is more than just the man upstairs. He is the sovereign creator, the Holy One. There's a second thing I want you to see about this great white throne judgment. The great white throne of judgment, it, it, it presents the supremacy of, of heaven's deity, but the great white throne of judgment also foretells the erasure of nature. It is a declaration of the present creation's finality. This world is passing away, John says. The desires of this world are passing away. The reality is that the creation was never meant to be eternal. This passage says that from his presence, earth and sky fled away. It's amazing to me the number of people that want to equate nature with God. Some people talk about the universe as if it has a capital U. They won't mention God, but they'll mention the universe. Carl Sagan, for example, said the universe is all there is, all there was, and all there ever will be. That is blasphemy. And that atheistic philosopher, and I won't even call him a scientist, because scientists are in pursuit of the truth. But that atheistic man condemned his own soul unless he came to faith in Christ before he breathed his last and his heart gave out. You see, creation is totally separate from God. You know, the Eastern uh, mystics tell us that the universe is, uh, is everything and one day we'll just simply be absorbed when we die. We go to be a part of this universe and, and we kind of are absorbed in it and we lose all sense of personal consciousness and we're not aware of it, but we join the great beyond. And some of these religions tell you that you're going to be reincarnated over and over and over again until you attain enlightenment. And then the great joy of enlightenment is for you to simply lose all sense of personal being and become one with the universe. That's a bunch of hogwash. It's straight from the pit. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created. And this passage reminds us again that one day God will uncreate. And we ought to give God glory. We ought to recognize him as the agent behind all of this world. We ought to be done with idolatry. It's amazing to me the number of people that refuse to give God glory, refuse to accept the fact that there's a personage of great power, unimaginable power and glory who is wholly unlike us and he created this world. And, and there's a number of people that refuse to acknowledge that and because of that, the Bible says, God gives them over to a darkened heart. And, you know, it, we should not be surprised at how crazy our world gets and how absolutely ridiculous people become. Because once your heart is fully darkened, you don't walk in the light. Give God the glory. Be done with idolatry and fear Him. We ought to fear Him. And by the way, let me just say this real quick while we're kind of in this subject. Because the Bible teaches us that the earth will, be, uh, will eventually pass away. And by the way, if you look in 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, I think we have a verse of Scripture here on this passage. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
John is not the only one that says that this universe is not eternal. John reveals to us that there's coming a day when this creation is done with and it is over. And, and I tell you, it's important for us to understand that the timing of this is all about God's timing, not man's. Somehow, some people get the idea that man is the sustainer of this universe. Man is not the sustainer of the universe, that's Christ. Man is simply the steward of this part of the universe. And like it or not, God will not allow this world to be destroyed until he is planning a new, until he, until he fulfills the promise of a new creation. So this great white throne judgment, it, it tells us about the supremacy of God here and his purity and his righteous judgment. It also tells us about one day all of this world is going to be gone, that heaven itself and the, and the earth itself will be, even the spiritual realm will be completely redone. But thirdly, this is the part that kind of, man, this is the part that kind of scares me. I mean, it doesn't scare me as much now, but it, 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 you know, let me ask you this. When you were a child, did you ever have that bad feeling that your mom or dad was going to find out what you did? Okay, I have a feeling that everybody's doing like this. Unless you're a perfect person. Always had that feeling. Oh no. And you know, my mother, bless her heart, she would tell me, she said, Craig, a little birdie told me. And I'm like, oop, how did that little birdie find out? And how did that little birdie talk to my mom? I'm going to shoot that little birdie next time I get a chance. But you know what? Here's, here's the, this, is, this is the thing that ought to send shivers down our spines if we do not know the Lord. And that is the great white throne of judgment. It reveals the exacting evaluation of every person's activity. It is a warning of the accountability of all of humanity to the Creator who gave them life. Notice what he says in verse number 12. He says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open." Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written. And the Bible tells us that the, the sea gives up its dead. And death and hell or death and Hades give up their dead. And it says that all of these people were standing. They were, each one of them was standing before this awesome throne of God. And they are judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. That is a sobering thought. Now, there's a lot of questions that we want to answer, and one of those questions is, who is standing before this throne? Well, I believe, and in my understanding of eschatology, I believe that the only people that are standing here are the dead who have died without Christ. And the reason I say that is because the Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what that means is if you're, a, if you're a believer, you're going to be with the Lord when you die. And the Bible says that when you die as a believer, you go directly to the Bema seat of Jesus Christ. That is, the, the term that's used there is Bema, and the word Bema is, a, it reflects back on a, the, the, the throne 
or the seat of power where Olympic athletes were awarded for their athletic prowess. And so when believers die, the Bible says that our works are judged, our works are judged, not our salvation because we've already accepted Christ. But it says our works are judged and some of those works are are precious uh, stones and and precious metals like gold. And some of those works, sad but true, are, are wood, hay, or stubble. And when God judges our works at that point, he rewards us according to our works for him. Some of those works burn up because they're unworthy of the Christian life. But the believer himself is safe in Christ. And so we never fear that once we've been born again, that somehow God is going to allow us to become unborn again. We never fear as believers that once we are born again and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives, we never fear that somehow God will take his Holy Spirit away from us. Because the scripture says we are sealed for the day of redemption. That's the way it is for believers. And so when a person who's in Christ dies, they go to be evaluated for their service for the Lord, and then they enter into that place of glory. So who are the dead here? Well, the dead, both great and small, that means the prominent and the unprominent. That means probably those who of every status of life who do not know the Lord are here and they are standing before the great white throne. And the books are opened. This passage tells us, because they are judged according to what they had done, that these books are the books that describe the deeds, the actions, and even the words and attitudes of every person who is ever born. You know, a funny thing happens. When you get a little bit older, you start losing your what? Your memory. <laughs> Some of y'all forgot that, right? You get a little bit older and you start, and sometimes, and, and, and thank the Lord, some things we don't want to remember, amen? amen? But you get a little bit older and you begin to lose track of things. Honey, that's why I forgot to take out the garbage, okay? Or I could say, honey, that's why I forgot X, Y, Z. Anybody here besides me ever forget some things? I got reminded of something this morning and somebody said, well, I had to throw you under the bus. I said, why? Because you forgot to do so-and-so. I said, oh my goodness, I'm sorry about that. And by the way, I probably needed a few tire tracks on me anyway. But anyway, (laughs) do you realize right now that every keystroke of your life is written down in heaven? Now, I don't know that God uses a, a pen with indelible ink, but I do believe, I do, and I'm using this metaphorically because the Bible teaches us that the deeds of the undead, or excuse me, the unsaved, that they are evaluated according to their deeds. It means that every keystroke of your life is written down. It means that every word that you have ever uttered is recorded. And by the way, we're not talking about Mr. Google or Miss Siri or, hello, Alexa. Uh-oh, y'all turn your phone off before, it, you know. Every deed, every word. Look at Matthew chapter 12, just a moment. 
I don't know if it's on the screen or not, but in Matthew chapter 12, the Bible tells us in verse 36, and I'm just, there it is. I'm going to read it to you. Here it is. I tell you, this is Jesus now. Jesus said, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every, you might want to circle that word every in your translation, every careless word they speak. Lord, help me for the careless words I have spoken. I got to tell you this real quickly. Years ago, I was working at Winn-Dixie as a young boy. and Excuse me, as a younger boy, because I'm still a young boy, okay? But anyway, y'all didn't get that, did you? Okay, anyway, um, I'm working at Winn-Dixie, and there's a lot of neat things that happened there, like the day I was moving a counter and bent over like that, and my pants were too tight, and they split all the way from the belt all the way down to the crotch. And I'll tell you what, I had to wrap a towel around myself and go home and change. A lot of stuff, good stuff happened. But one time, I said something very careless and it had very detrimental consequences. You know, we all say stupid things from time to time. And I made a comment one time that one of the folks employed at Winn-Dixie seemed like they had a closer relationship to another person employed at Winn-Dixie than this lady had with her husband. And I just said that to a friend in a casual manner. And I didn't realize it, but he was friends with this lady's husband. And he went and told this lady's husband what I said. I never will forget that Saturday morning when I came into work and I went into the produce department and this lady came to me and she had mascara that was running down her face and she was upset and she confronted me and she said I can't believe why did you say what you said and I'm like what what do you mean and she told me and what happened as a result of that was that this husband decided that he was going to have a fight with this other employee (laughs) and the two of them had a literal fight. I'm not talking about a girl fight, guys. Pardon me, ladies. I'm talking about a fisticuff serious fight in the parking lot. And I'm just telling you, my heart began to skip a beat. And I was, I was just, I can't believe I did that. That's been a lesson that has stayed with me all of my life since then. Be careful what you say. And I have a feeling that on that day of judgment, the dead, unsaved, standing before the holy of holy, righteous judge, their heart is going to jump up into their throats for the careless words they've uttered. i got to tell you something. Every part of our lives will be fully remembered by the Lord. The good news for us as believers is that every deed and every word and everything we've done that is displeasing to the Lord, and you might want to say amen to this, all of those things are covered under the blood of Christ. I'm telling you what, when God writes down our deeds 
and our deeds are written down and we ask for mercy in Christ, the Bible says every one of those sins, sins from the very first part of our lives to the sins of the last part of our lives, they are all erased and God has thrown them into the sea of forgetfulness. Praise God. Amen. Aren't you glad about that? I'm telling you what, this is such a this, this is the Word of God. We believe this is the Word of God. And because this is the Word of God, we know that it is true. And men will give an account for the miles and the moments of their lives. I, I got, a, I got a, a, a letter or something. I think it was a letter of, uh, from one of my, my, from my insurance agent. And it had one of the, it was a kind of, the, the envelope was kind of thick. And so I opened it up and there was a little thing in there that was, apparently it was something that I should put on my car so that the insurance company could make sure that I got all the discounts that I could get for being a safe driver. Anybody else ever had one of those things? Some of y'all put those things on your car, didn't you? <laughs> Not me. Why do I want the insurance company watching every move I make? Recording my speed and all of that. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, by the way. Anyway, um, listen, you know what? The, the truth of the matter is, Mr. Google's already recording all that stuff. So it shouldn't be hard for us to believe that God has all that stuff written down as well. But the mercy of God, the mercy of God, means that all my sin is covered and atoned for or paid for with the blood of Christ. Which leads me to the fourth truth that I want you to see this morning. The great white throne of judgment. It gives us a vision of the sovereign glory of God. It presents the supremacy of heaven's deity. The great white throne of judgment, it declares, uh, it, it, it declares the present creation's finality. It foretells the, the erasure of nature. The great white throne judgment, it, it declares to us, it reveals the exacting evaluation of every single person's activity, their words, their deeds, their very thoughts, which the Bible says are, the, the thoughts of the unsaved are an abomination to the Lord, the scripture says. He knows everything about us. He knows about our rising. He knows about our laying down. He knows a word before it's formed on my lips. He knows it all and he remembers it all. And the fourth truth that I want you to see this morning is the great white throne judgment soberly reveals the impossibility of eternal life without Jesus Christ's atoning mercy. It highlights the necessity of Jesus Christ's clemency, His pardon. Notice what it says in verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's a hard word. And some people don't like it. Some people rebel against that. I'm just here to tell you, this is what Jesus taught. This is what the Word teaches. That apart from mercy and grace in Christ, you're lost. And you're going to a place of eternal suffering. Let me just share with you that the Bible says death and hell give up their dead. You know, when a, a lost person dies right now, they do go to a place of torment, but it will be nothing compared to the lake of fire. 
One day, that place of torment, which we call hell, it will be thrown into the lake of fire as well. And death will be defeated, and it'll be thrown in the lake of fire, so to speak. But, but the bottom line is the Scripture teaches the necessity of being born again. Let me just share this real quickly before we, we finish this up. And that is this. As Christians, we make a terrible mistake sometimes. And unbelievers sometimes, uh, they, they don't understand because we misinterpret and we miscommunicate. I want you to understand this. Before a person gets reformed in Christ and cleans their life up, they have to get saved. Salvation always precedes sanctification in the process. I mean, you're sanctified in Christ in that moment, you're cleansed, but what happens is your life begins to change. There must be a moment of conversion before you become uh, perfect in Christ, so to speak. And by the way, being perfect in Christ does not occur until you finally get, you know, you, the day of the Lord or until the Lord uh, uh, takes you to glory, okay? And you're finally finished at that point. But, you know, sometimes we get the idea that being a Christian is just being a good person. And as, as pastors, our danger is that we preach about husband's will, but children who were born from God. You must be born again. Because salvation and mercy is always in Christ. We are justified freely by his blood. Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The answer of salvation is intimately tied to the reception and the relationship one has with Jesus Christ. And John said it like this, He who has the Son, Jesus, has life. But he who does not have the Son does not have life. I want you to understand the great white throne of judgment. It's a message that reminds us that eternal life is impossible without Jesus Christ atoning mercy. You know, the good news for us as believers is that there's, there's so much blessing that is foretold and is coming to the people of God. I want to shout up and say, Lord, bring it on. You can take this world out any time you want to. I'm ready for the new heaven and the new earth and I've got it figured out in my own heart. But here's my challenge and this was my prayer earlier. There's so many people out there who don't know Him. And really, if I really have the love of Christ in my heart, then I need to help them understand the gospel. What they do with the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that's up to them. But what is my obligation is to share God's love and the message of life in Christ with others. Because you and I never know when that moment is going to come.
Human courts can declare mistrials when things don't go right. But when God sits in judgment, there is no mistrial. There is either eternal life or everlasting death. And you know, it's not a pleasant thought, but it's the truth. And you know, as we look at God's Word and as we study the teachings of Jesus, we know that Jesus was very sure to let people know that without Him, life is hopeless and eternity is not very good at all. Well, I want us to have our worship band come out and they're going to lead us. Um, Pastor Sean's going to lead us in a time of commitment and while he's playing, I'm, we're going to be standing here and we're going to be worshiping the Lord together. But I, I have to tell you, either within this building or maybe someone who's watching online, if you have questions about your own relationship with God, I want to talk with you about that. Believers have the assurance that God is with them because His Spirit bears witness with our spirit, the Scripture says. And if there's any doubt in your mind about whether or not you've received Christ, please talk to me before you leave. Please let me know. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you in the Lord. I want you to have that assurance of eternal life and assurance of God's love and favor that can transform your eternity in your present world. And if you're struggling with that, please let me, let Pastor Sean, let someone here know of your concerns. We want to help you with that. Would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I just, uh, Lord God, I thank you so much for giving us a chance to worship together in this place. And Lord, I thank you so much for your spirit who convicts us and convinces us of the mercy in Christ. And Heavenly Father, I want to pray right now that as we stand and as we worship, that you will speak to us in that way that leads us to a place of certainty about our relationship with you so that those who do not know you may come to you and may receive you, Lord Jesus. And for those of us that know you, Father, I pray for an encouragement of our souls and I pray for a, a, a Lord God, for a, a, a calling on our lives to share with those who we know don't know you. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship.